Everybody, thank you for listening to the Vessel Student Ministries podcast today. This is a product of the Vessel Student and Hyphen Ministries at the Pentecostals of Louisville in Kentucky. Uh, comment if your podcasting app you're on allows it. Please rate this and share it with someone that you think it will bless. Our email is linked. We have youth classes every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We have a youth event just about every Friday. And so if you haven't joined us in person, if you're able to, please come on by. We'd love to see you. We hope you're blessed by the sermon today. In Jesus' name. Transition out smoothly that time. Can we all stand? Yeah, I got a minute before. My goodness. How's life? You look good? Slightly tired? Got some sun, some of y'all? Oh, yeah. Life's good? Make Earning a living? No, I'm not. Yeah, it's nice. It's killing. Man, use this time to be like a stinking scholar. I, I literally. By the time you're 18, become a monk. I'm telling you. If I go back in time, oh my goodness. If you can go back in time before you had to work, I'd be a little entrepreneur. I'd be like, I'd be legit. Yeah, you wouldn't be. But I was just a little complex Skyrim. <laughs> did nothing in my life. I didn't say that. Skyrim is so old to so many people. You don't even know what Skyrim is, do you? No, I do. You do? I mean, I do. But well, you know, that's for the same age. <laughs> I don't know. Chris, I have no idea. <laughs> it's not goodness. like a day-to-day Skyrim. None of them know what Skyrim is. That's probably just because they don't play video games like that. Okay, who was born after the year 2000? Lift your hand. Oh my lord. Oh my god. That's crazy. That's Okay. This Friday is Coffee in Christ, 7 o'clock. There will not be food, so eat before you come. And it's going to be great. We have four speakers. They're bringing the fire and the grace. <laughs> what if I told them, okay, you're going to preach about hell, you're going to preach about heaven, and you're going to make them feel horrible and you're going to make them feel good. And we're just going to put you all in perfect order. <laughs> what a roller coaster that would be. You wouldn't know yourself. Up, oh, down, down. Okay, well, yeah, be there or be square. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Everybody lift your hands with me. God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for allowing us to walk in truth in ways we don't even, we're not even aware of. I thank you for your word. I pray that you, you allow us to be vulnerable and honest and receptive to it today. Let us be good ground and let it change us in a powerful way. This moment seems quiet. This moment seems small. It seems like just another Wednesday. But I pray that we allow you to let it be what it's supposed to be and that we allow you to change us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the last and final lesson of a seven lesson series called Awareness. It's very dear to my heart. It took a lot. It took a quarantine for me to finish it and then I would go to share it. It's been a long time. I re-preached last week about influence uh, to help explain this lesson. Influence was lesson number four. This is the last lesson. Of seven, I don't know if you noticed this, but seven is God's number. So we're just finishing at a good place. Everything I've taught thus far is setting up to explain the things I'm going to talk about tonight. I wanted to teach this. I had this lesson first before I had all the rest. But I had to have the other lessons to help you understand this lesson. So if you feel lost by the end of this and you've missed a couple lessons, don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. Um, but everything taken into account. I can't explain everything I'm going to say like I did in other lessons. So I'll explain, let's say I explain four different terms in each lesson, and then I use all four of the terms tonight, I can't explain all of them in detail again. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of have to use what you know already. Uh, because the, the stuff I'm talking about tonight is very deep, 
and take the whole series into account when you are trying to understand what I'm saying. Okay? So don't be like, blasphemy, false doctrine. Well, lesson number three helps you understand what I'm saying and certain things like that. Okay. So we're going to start back off with our, our formula to grow in awareness. My son, if you receive my words, if you receive them, if you hold them, if you see them, if you're aware of them. See, our word for aware is this. I just see. Okay. Our word for hear in English is this. I just hear like an observation. But God's word for hear in the Bible is Shema, and it means to hear and then be changed by what you heard. We say, if I'm going to tell you a fact, all you got to do to hear me is just noted. But for God to say that you heard him, he says something, you hear it in observation, and you respond to it in obedience. There's two sides of this. But God wanted us to be hearers of the word and doers of the word so much that he didn't even split it in two different words. He said in the, in the Old Testament, hear me. He gave it two definitions. To, to hear God, I, I see him. And the more I see him, the more I obey him. Thus, I really hear him. Thus, I'm really aware of him. In case you haven't realized over seven lessons, our word for awareness is something I'm just I'm aware. It's like a, I'm just aware, you know. But awareness is I'm aware of God and I'm changed by God. That's how you're truly aware from God. My son, if you receive my words, if you have my Bible, if you see that verse, if you listen to that sermon, if you're looking at it, in, in observation. And you treasure up my commandments. Other translations say use or store. Basically saying, if you're holding my truth, line one, and you use my truth, you unwrap it, you apply it, you obey it, observe it, and respond to it, the two steps of awareness, what happens is this. You grow in awareness, making your ear attentive to wisdom. That's how you grow. You take what you know about God currently, no matter how small you think it is. And when you obey it, all of a sudden you have the capacity to hear and be more aware of God. Now your Bible, you can understand deeper things. Now you're more strong. Now things are happening in your life. You've grown in awareness. You've grown with God. And then you can reach for more. And inclining your heart to understanding. If you take what you know about me and you obey it the way I've shown you, you will hear more about me. You'll be more aware of me so you can reach for more of me. Clear enough? So, but notice this. If you take what you know about me, you take my present, you unwrap my present and use my present, I'll give you the ability to have a bigger present and use a bigger present. But notice, if, if, you will, you will. If you take it. And if you use it, you will hear more of me. And you will be changed more by me. Almost as if you're now being influenced. Refer to last week. You're being influenced. You're, God is now ruling you. Because you know that word, that funny word that we use a lot? Abide. Abide is the same definition as, as hearing God, as, as shamaing God. Abide is this. I'm not going to ask you this week. Abide is connected to and changed by. Or holding and obeying. I hear him and I'm changed by what I hear. To abide is to be aware. So God says spiritually that you can abide with him and you can abide with sin. And he gives all the fruits of the spirit you'll, 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 you'll birth if you abide with him. And all the fruits of the flesh you'll, you'll birth if you abide with your flesh. And when you got saved, you know what you did? The Bible describes that salvation is like this. God gives you a seed. It's called salvation. It looks small. And he shows it to you, and then he asks you to obey it. When you obey how to be saved, he says, then it is planted inside the ground that is you. 
Well, then it births roots, and those roots influence you, and they bear fruits of his nature, okay? You had the free will to say, I don't want that seed in my life, by if I obeyed it. But once you obeyed it, what you did, you gave God a lot of your free will. So now the seed's inside of you. He now gets to do a lot of things that he wants to because you gave him permission. When you got saved, you were giving God permission to do what he wanted to do in your life. And when God shows you more of his word and more through the ministry, it's another invitation. He's giving you another seed. And you're saying, God is saying, if you look at it and if you obey it, if you abide with it, you are giving me permission to take some of your will away from you and have some of my own in your life. Free will is not the ability to be free in every moment. Free will is the ability to decide who you will be ruled by. Romans 6, Romans 8, it all says this, that you're ruled by somebody whether you like it or not. Before salvation and post-salvation, I pick who influences me more, either my flesh or God. How do I pick? I see the seed of temptation. I see it. I'm aware of sin. And if I obey it, I give into it. It's planted within me. It bears roots that influence me and fruits. I can't stop the fruits unless I allow grace to change me. Well, when I see God, I see his seed. I see truth. I obey it. It's planted. It bears roots, influence. It begins to control me and help me. And I bear fruits. And unless I let sin stop God from growing, God will always keep growing in my life and influencing me and helping me. So your small obedience allows you to be influenced by God because through small obedience, you're giving God the permission to take a little bit more control of your life. Okay, free will is only when you decide what seed you'll let into your life. But after that, whoever you let in, they get to decide how the roots are formed and what fruits you have in your life. Make sense? You get to decide what you let in. After that, whoever you let in, they do whatever they want to do. Okay, unless you let grace mess it up when it comes to Satan's plan, or you let God, or you let sin mess it up when it comes to God's plan. Remember the illustration in 2 Kings, where there were the kings of Judah, the king of Israel, and the king of the Edomites. And they have their armies. They're going to go fight the Moabites. And they're in the wilderness, and they get thirsty. They get panicked. We're going to die. God is going to kill us. But they asked Elisha, who just happened to be there, the man of God, and said, what can we do? And Elisha said, God's going to send rain. He's going to send rain. But you can't just, like, there's the fact. There's the scripture. God is going to send rain. There's the truth about God. And they're aware of it in observation. Oh, I believe it. He's going to send rain. Okay, cool. But Elisha says, but you've got to dig a ditch. Ditches throughout this whole land to receive the rain. Otherwise, if it rains and you didn't obey and dig ditches and respond, you have nothing to catch the rain with, and you'll die of thirst, and God will still be rain. Meaning that God, his word says he's peace, and his, his word says he's joy and life. But I can't just see that and know it in fact. I have to know it in experience by what? Applying it. I plant it. They had to dig a ditch to receive the rain right. What happens is we know God to be a lot of things in fact, but we don't prepare a lot of times, respond a lot of times, and let him be those things in our life. We are not fully aware of God, okay? But you remember the story? The thirst is quenched. Hallelujah. God said, I'm going to send rain. Here's the seed. The seed says, I'm going to send rain. You decide if you're going to obey. How do you obey this seed and plant the seed in your life? You dig a ditch. If you dig a ditch, I'm going to quench your thirst. If they hadn't dug the ditch, in God's eyes, it's like holding a seed and saying, I like the seed, but I don't want to plant it. That does you no good. But when they dug the ditch, they planted the seed of truth in their life. Well, God didn't tell them this part. 
that he was going to make the water in the ditches look like blood. So their enemy, the Moabites, would be all confused, thinking they all killed each other in an internal conflict, walk over nonchalant, and they just get beat up and killed by the Israelites easily. God literally handed them the victory because they used the water to look like blood. God never told them that, did he? All he said was, if you obey me in this small way, you take this small truth about me, and you obey it in a small way, you're like planting a seed. But he didn't tell them all the fruits it would bring. Here's where your will is. You're holding the seed, and you can decide why plants or not. Here's what happens. When you take that leap of faith and you obey God, God gets to do whatever he wants to after you accept it. God didn't have to explain to them, I'm going to use it to win the battle. All they thought, oh, I just won't be thirsty. But God didn't have to tell them his will. Here's what it is to live with God. Here's what it is to live in the will of God. I let God do what he wants to do even when I don't know what he's going to do. How do I do it? He tells me to let this in my life and I let it in my life. And I don't understand everything about it, but I do it. I take the seed and I plant it and I don't have to know the fruits. That's how I live in God's will. All I see is the seed and I let God do whatever he wants to do. So when God says pray this much, you just say, I don't know your whole will for my life, but you know, they don't have to know God's will to be in God's will. Notice that. That was God's plan the whole time. But if they had not accepted the seed and obeyed, they'd have missed out on the whole victory. And God didn't even tell them. That's how it works. Free will tonight is teaching you how to interact with God. Where is my will and where is God's will and how do I get them to interact properly? You are in control when sin says, take this and obey it. You're in control when God says, take this and obey it. But when you let it in, they bear fruits. And God's will is always bigger than the seed he asks you to take. Because wasn't winning the battle in that way a lot more cool than just having a cool drink of water? It was. God's will is always bigger than the thing he's asking you to do. And you buy into it through small obedience. You don't have to know his will to obey it. Okay? But I want to explain something. Okay? I'm going to try to go fast because this is like a catch-all sermon. I want to explain something. In Romans chapter 9, I, I, I ask you to go home and read it. Romans chapter 9 is kind of confusing. And because of Romans chapter 9, a lot of denominations have decided there's, there's this concept in the Bible that it's where God forces you. So you see the words predestination and election in the Bible. Predestination and election. And they believe, because of Romans chapter 9, that God picks who goes to hell, who goes to heaven, before we ever live our lives. That God literally decides what you'll do. That you're trapped. That you don't have free will. That God forces good people to be good. He forces bad people to be bad. And we have no control. We're just stuck. And so there's a whole denomination called Calvinist that walk around thinking, who cares? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Like you hedge your bet. So I'm going to explain the chapter and explain why that's wrong. Okay? Write this down if you're writing down. Predestination and election means this. God simply plans for you. That's all it means. God does not force you. God just plans based on the decisions he knows you will make. In Romans chapter 9 it says this. That God picked Jacob over Esau. There were twins in the womb. And he picked Jacob even though Jacob was the younger brother. Usually the older brother gets the inheritance, the responsibility. But God said, I picked Jacob. It says, before they ever sinned or did anything good, God picked Jacob. And it says, for the purpose of his election, he picked Jacob. Okay? People read that and say, see, God picked Jacob and he made Jacob good and made Esau bad. Here's what happens. You know, God's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That God transcends time. He sees all. It says in Psalm 39 that God sees every day you live before you ever live them. Okay? So, when God is looking at Jacob and Esau's life, he knows, okay, Jacob's going to be willing to wrestle with me. Jacob, 
is going to repent. Jacob is going to hunger for me. Esau's not really going to like me. Esau's going to mess up. Esau's going to sell his birthright. God sees all these things where they ever lived them. And God decides, I'm going to plan my will based around Jacob. But notice this. Just because God planned, knowing the decisions Jacob would make, doesn't mean that God forced Jacob to make those decisions. Our little mind has problems with this. How can God know my destiny in total certainty without forcing me to live the way he wants me to live? God can know where you're going to end up, but that doesn't take away from your responsibility in becoming that person. I'm going to say it over and over again. Don't worry. So he sees what they will be, and he decides, I see Jacob's life, and I see Esau's life. I am going to plan. I am going to elect. I'm going to prepare for Jacob. The Bible says that Esau, the reason why he gave up his birthright for both stew, because he was sexually immoral. I've said it over and over again. Esau sinned. The Bible says that God does not make you sin. And if you're ever tempted, God will always provide a way of escape. No one is made to sin by God. God didn't make Esau sin. Esau sins for so long, he has no more impulse control, so he gives up his birthright for both stew. God didn't make him do that. God saw he would do that. And so he said, I see where you're going to do that. I pick Jacob. But God didn't make Esau do it. And God didn't make Jacob repent. But God knew one day, I'm going to be in the wilderness, and Jacob's going to be running, he's broken, and I'm going to give him the chance to change, and he's going to be willing. God saw Jacob's future successes, and he decided... I'm going to plan based on the decisions you will make. God plans off of all of everybody's decisions. God plans off the decisions of, of bad decisions. God plans off of good decisions. God uses the good and the bad. And he planned and he picked Jacob. But just because he knew where he'd be and he wanted to plan based off that doesn't mean he forced his hand in it. Okay? In Romans 9 it goes on and says that God can do whatever he wants God can destroy who he wants to destroy. He can save who he wants to save. That God literally can show mercy to who he wants to and show no mercy to who he doesn't want to. That God can do whatever he wants. Paul's writing this. And Paul is just saying, how dare us ever question God? God can do whatever he wants to do. He can kill us all if he wanted to. It says that God's like a potter. And the, 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 the jar he's making never looks at the potter and says, what are you going to use me for? Why would you ever do that? We, we have no rights. He says this. That God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he, he destroyed Pharaoh to teach of his power. That he didn't let Pharaoh let the Israelites go even though that Pharaoh had decided he was going to. That God hardened his heart. And see, God can destroy any of us the same way. You got depressed yet? <laughs> but let me remind you. You may be thinking, why would God take away Pharaoh's free will? Why would God force Pharaoh to do this? I've always wondered that. What, what is the free will in that? You know that Pharaoh was killing babies? The Pharaoh was the first mass abortion doctor. Pharaoh was aborting every Israelite boy. You know, that's demonic. That's just not bad. That's demonic. Demons caused that. Pharaoh was worshiping. In Pharaoh's kingdom, they were involved in witchcraft. Not like fake stuff. No, like real spiritual junk. Pharaoh has ate up from the inside out with his own sins. Pharaoh has accepted a lot of seeds in his life. And now they're influencing him. And so God sees a bad vessel. He decides, I'm going to destroy you. And I'm going to use you the way I want to use you because you're a bad vessel. Let me clarify. The same guy that wrote Romans 9, Paul, makes you seem like God just does whatever he wants with us, doesn't it? And that God just destroyed Pharaoh. And he uses the words like vessel of honor and vessel of destruction. When he's writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, Paul says this, that God's world is like a house. And in the house, it's like any house in that day. They had vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. You know what was in the vessel of honor? Clean drinking water. You know what was the vessel of dishonor? Dirty dishwater. And Paul, 
is teaching that, you know, you would never put dirty dishwater in a vessel that has clean water. And what you put in the vessel determines if it's a vessel of honor or dishonor. You put bad things in the vessel, it's used for bad things. You put good things in the vessel, it only will be used for good things. That there's vessels of good use and vessels of bad use, and it's determined by what they let in. Paul says this, if any man's a vessel of dishonor, if he cleanses himself and makes himself a vessel of honor, God will use him for honorable things. Wait a second. Paul, you're telling me that what I let in determines what kind of vessel I am? Yes. You let a lot of God in, you're a good vessel. You let a lot of bad things in, you're a bad vessel. Okay. So I decide what kind of vessel I am? Yes. In Romans 9, he says that Pharaoh was a vessel of destruction raised up to be destroyed. Pharaoh had let a lot of bad things in. And you had to listen to this whole series and understand what I'm saying. God didn't force Pharaoh to be bad. Pharaoh decided, I'm going to be bad. And God says, well, okay, I'll use you to do something really bad. I'm going to destroy you. See, have you ever argued with your parents and said, how come you can do that? And they're like, because I'm the parent. And you're like, oh, okay, conversation over. You ever notice that? Because your parent has the right or the power to do so. But we all know there's a lot of things our parents can do that they don't do for their relationship with you. They have the power and the permission to do a lot of things and make you do a lot of things. But there's a lot of things they don't do for your relationship with them, right? Okay? In Romans 9, Paul is saying, God can do whatever he wants with any of us. Because he's like a parent, he's scolding the church in Rome because they're questioning and doubting and they're mad at God. And he's saying, who are we to question God? He's describing like a parent that I have every right and I have all the power to do whatever I want. Then when he writes Timothy, he's saying, just because God has the power to do whatever he wants to do, that doesn't mean that's what God does in practice when it comes to us. That God limits his power so we can have a good relationship with him. Note this in your mind, write it in your journal. There's a difference between what God does in power. Power versus practice. Your parent has a lot of power that they don't use. They practice their authority in a good way for your relationship. God limits what he can do in your life so you can have a good relationship with him. Okay? You pick what kind of vessel you'll be by what you let in. And then when you decide, God lets you pick. But when you decide what you let in, then God says, okay, you're a good vessel. I'll use you for good things. You're a bad vessel. Uh, you, don't, you won't accept, accept my grace. Well, I'll use you for bad things. I want to bust your bubble. Being used of God is not a symptom of being right with God. God uses the bad person as much as he uses the good person. God is moving and, and shaping bad people as much as he is good, saved people. We Being used for good things is a symptom of being saved. God controls who's, who, evil kings. God controls tyrants. God does it all. So God is always using somebody. God is always controlling all of us for his will, but how he uses us, he lets us decide. I pick what kind of vessel I will be, I choose. But once I pick, God gets to use me the way he wants to use me based off what I've let in. Make sense? Okay. So, I said that God limits himself so you can interact with him. Okay? And that election and predestination doesn't mean forced or planned. Paul says that all that I do in this life is so that the elect may obtain salvation. Wait a second. I thought elect meant that God forces you to be saved, that I can't do anything. I'm, he just made me saved. But Paul is saying all that I do is so that the elect may obtain salvation. The people that God's planned to be saved because he saw they were hungry, I preach so that they may obtain what God planned for them to get. Meaning, the decision is still on us. When someone prophesies to you, when you read the promises of the Bible, God always speaks in total certainty. 
He told the Israelites, you will do this and you will do that. Then he says at the end, if you obey me and if you honor me. No matter how clearly God speaks to you about your destiny, there's always an applied if, if you obey. We get confused when someone tells you, you're going to be great, you're going to do this. It's, it, and you're like, well, God's speaking very certainly. And we may take that as a permission to be complacent as if it's already done. Just because God's standing in your future seeing what you will be doesn't mean you still don't have the responsibility to become that person through consecration and working hard. You know what I'm saying? And we all know the more clear God speaks to us, the more complacent we're like, God, okay, good. I can not try as hard. No, 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 you still got to live right. Okay? Clarity of destiny does not take away from obedience. It doesn't take away from becoming. Okay? It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you obey and if you grow in these seven areas, remember those? You're saved and if you, if you grow in faith and knowledge, self-control and all these things, you'll make your calling and your election sure. What he's saying is, if you live right, you'll accomplish every plan that God has for you. Meaning it's still in your power. It's still up to you even though that God saw what you could be. Okay? So God didn't force Jacob, did he? And God didn't force Esau, did he? He was still in their hands. But God limits himself so you can interact with him like a human. Because our little brains are stupid. We can't handle God in his entirety. I'll explain it to you. Uh, you know when God asked Peter, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, bro, you are God in the flesh. And he said, Jesus said, uh, only God, only my father could have shown you that. And because of that, I'm going to build my church upon you. You're going to be the first pastor. It's going to be great. He tells Peter all the great things he's going to be in that moment. Okay? Notice that God didn't tell Peter, oh, you're also going to deny me three times. You're going to be a dud at some points in your life. He didn't tell him that. Wait a second. God only told Peter in prophecy the good stuff, but he didn't burden Peter with his future mistakes? No, because God picks and chooses what he tells you so you can have the faith to interact with him. Because when you repent, God says, I forgive you. I believe in you. I know you'll never do it again. But you know, three days later, you'll probably do it again. You know God knows that. But why does God forgive me? Because God limits how he interacts with you so you can have a good relationship with him. God can do a lot in power, but he doesn't do a lot in practice when it comes to working with us. God, if God, every time that God told you what you would be, if he also told you every future failure you would have in vivid detail, you'd give up on the spot. So God doesn't burden you with your future failures, but he lifts you up with your future successes. That's called faith. Isn't that amazing? Because if, don't ask for God to tell you everything he knows, because we can't handle it. You know, it says that God, that, that Moses changed God's mind. They sinned, worship an idol, and God's going to kill them all. And God's mind is changed by Moses. Wait, I thought in Psalm 139 that God sees all my days before I lived them. So God knew that Moses one day would repent for the people. You know, God planned for Moses to repent for the people. God was not shocked. Oh, you caught me. Oh, I was, I was caught off guard that you swayed me. God was setting up Moses. He's the all-knowing, all-seeing God. You know who Moses is acting like when God says, I'm going to kill them all? And Moses says, no, can I repent for them? You know who he's acting like? He's acting like Jesus. God is letting Moses act a lot like Jesus in interceding for a broken people that have no right to be saved. He's letting Moses have a growing experience. God limited how much he let Moses know. Oh, you got me. Oh, you changed your mind. You changed my mind. He is interacting with a human in a way that a human can understand so that human can grow. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't shocked. He always planned. What if he just said, I know you're going to say it's okay, I, I forgive them. 
It will rob Moses of interceding and being like Jesus. If God cut to the chase, you're talking to God, and you're like, God, I want to. And he goes, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say this and that and this. I don't need you. Why even talk to God if God knows what you're going to say? Why does God ask you to tell him? He acts as if he doesn't know unless you tell him so you can have a good relationship with him. Because God can finish every sentence, but yet he still wants to hear you say it. Because he limits what he shows you of him so you two can interact. God transcends time. But yet when God talks to you, he acts as if he's here with you right now. He doesn't put the pressure of what you will be and what's, what's going to go wrong in your life. All he lets you see is the God that's sitting with you now. He limits himself. Don't mean to blow your mind or anything, but I, I actually do. It's crazy. You know when Mary, the mother of Jesus at the wedding, wine runs out. And she says, Jesus, you got to do a miracle. And Jesus said, woman, my time has not yet come. My will is for my ministry to not happen yet. And she doesn't even talk to him. She says, hey, servants, do whatever he tells you to do for this miracle. Jesus told her no. And she still asked for it. How could she defy the will of God like that? That's crazy. You know, Jesus saw that coming, like, before she was ever born. Because there's a parable about it. There was a woman that had a judge that was unjust, who didn't care about her or God. And the Bible says that as she kept asking, and, God, and the, the judge did it, if we keep asking God, and have the faith to keep reaching, God will respond to us. God tells you no on purpose to see what you'll do sometimes. And you think, God told me no. God acts like a human with you sometimes to see if you have the faith. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible where God told someone no. There was a woman, a Samaritan woman said, I need you to heal. I need you to work. He said, you're like a dog to me because she wasn't of his people. And she said, but don't even the dogs at table scraps? He said, because you weren't offended in me, your faith He's going to make you whole. Wait, God told her no just so she would tell him, please again? Yes. He didn't tell her that he was waiting for the no. He interacted with Mary in a way that he didn't show her everything so she could have a good walk with him. What about David and Samuel when he's anointed? Why did God pick David over all the brothers? God saw all the future successes. He saw slaying Goliath. He saw all these things. He said, I like you. Problem was, you know, God also saw the murderer and the adulterer, but God didn't tell David that when he was young. God didn't burden David with his future failures, but he encouraged David with the anointing of his future success. Now, aren't you glad God does that for you? That every altar call, God doesn't tell you all things you'll do wrong, just things you'll do right? That's amazing. But what about this? Samuel walks up and he sees the oldest son, the oldest son of Jesse, the oldest brother. He says, that's the dude, God, anoint that man. And God said, no, Samuel. God looks on the heart, the inside, but man judges on the outside. Okay, next brother. This is the guy. No, Samuel. Um, this guy. No, Samuel. Why did God let Samuel mess up and pick the wrong person over and over and over again? We think that the story is just about David. This story is a lot more about Samuel than we realize. You know, Samuel's so heartbroken because he picked Saul. Saul was like the first king of Israel, and Samuel believed in Saul. And Saul was the biggest, the baddest, the best looking, and Saul was a dud. Well, Samuel believed, and he's still sore about it. And so when Samuel picks another big strapping man, God gets the opportunity to teach Samuel, you know what, I look on the inside, not the outside. You, you thought Saul was great, but I saw his heart. What about this guy? No. What about this guy? No. He worked his way down to David. You know why? Because Samuel, men had have been ready to see God pick David if God hadn't taken Samuel through all the no's of his life. God limited what he told his own prophet. I know I'm going to pick David before David was ever born, but I'm going to play coy with you. I'm going to interact with you in a way that a human can understand because my ways are higher than your ways. 
I'm going to let you pick wrong. And you're going to ask, why? Why did you let me do that? Don't you see all? Yeah, but I don't show you all because I want you to have the chance to grow and talk with me in a way you understand. Samuel grows as a man of God by God letting him do these things and pick a wrong turn and be confused about this so he can show, okay, David has a man after God's own heart. You understand? He limits what will he shows. Samuel, and he lets Samuel do things. You're like, why would he let you do that? God won't force you to sin. Don't take, my, don't, don't take it in that way. But God will let you ask questions that he knows the answers to for a long time. God will let you stand at crossroads and he won't give you directions right off the bat because God doesn't want to take away your humanity because he thinks it's beautiful and he loves how you interact together. If God took away everything and made you exactly like him in everything, then why would God need to make an Adam? He made Adam human. Human doesn't mean sinful. Human meant just a complementary piece. There's certain things that God doesn't do with you because he wants to still talk to you in a good way. You're looking at me like I just fired your eyebrows off. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, what about angels? Oh, yeah. Uh, angels, what, uh, angels decided to fall, right? They, a third of them sided with Satan. So, I thought man was special because man had free will. But if angels could choose, is man not that special? Because does that make angels have free will? Okay. Notice this. Angels do not have free will like man. Angels do not have free will like man okay angels had the ability to choose but not like man when god made adam and eve he put two trees in the garden two doors and their whole existence was based around what making a choice choose tree of life you choose me choose the trees of, 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 of knowledge good and evil you choose sin you get to choose your whole meaning for living is the ability to choose you know that when you got saved the bible says it's like picking the tree of life again and proverbs it says that we decide to eat of whatever tree we want to each day Flesh, sin, devil, God. Your whole life, every day, every moment is based upon that one decision. You're still making it. You're making it right now. Isn't that crazy? You know, in 2 Peter and in Jude, it gives multiple illustrations where man picked God and man didn't. Noah, eight people picked God. The rest of the world didn't. They all died. Eight people survived. Good tree, bad tree, choice. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole city didn't pick God. Lot and his family picked God. Life, death, choice. But then it gives in both books the one time the angels picked. The angels said, we want to go with Satan. A third of them did. And you know that not all of them are free, really, like demons. There's a lot of them that are captive in darkness and chains, waiting to be punished forever. So a third of them aren't loose. A part of the third is. A little trivia for you. But, they, but then in Jude and Peter, you know, it only says the one time the angels fail. Do you realize the, that the angels never had another rebellion? They only chose one only filled once. Did you know there's no angel evangelistic program to win back the bad angels? There's no like angel evangelists. They're, they're just, they're done. But you know, if you picked wrong, that God will let you pick again. And you know this whole world that's picked wrong their whole lives? God is waiting for them to pick. You always have the freedom to choose. Angels got to pick once. That's not like our free will is it at all. No, it's not. If you pick wrong in your angel, you're done. And there's never been another time in history where angels rebelled again. There's not a constant backsliding angel problem. So I don't know what kind of free will they have, what kind of good shoes, but they only are able to use it once. And they can't choose anything else. They don't have the free will like you and I do. We pick and we get to decide. And by the grace of God, we can pick again. Do you know what I'm saying? You see the difference? I'm at 30 minutes? Mm -hmm. 30 minutes on the dot? No, you're past a little bit. How far? Like three minutes. Oh, okay. 
I got one more thing. I'm making good time. It's a lot, y'all. I talked to you about angels and demons, okay? Good stuff. Good stuff. Free will, you know? Uh, so here's the last thing. You decide what kind of vessel you will be by what seed you let in your life. I, I define what kind of garden I will be by what I plant in my garden. And then after that, it grows what it grows. And God decides to use me how he wants to use me based on what I've already decided. You get it? You understand? You have the freedom to just what you let in. And then based on what you let in, God has his will in your life. Okay? Don't be scared. It's okay. God's not going to force you. You can still pick the right seeds. When you pick the wrong seed, just repent and let God change you. Okay? God can outroot it. Just because you sin, you know, tomorrow doesn't mean that you're trapped forever. I have to disclaim these things because someone's going to believe that they're just doomed. The Bible says this. I love this verse. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. means many are invited, but few stay. Many are saved, but few remain. And to clarify this statement, Jesus preaches a parable. He says that God and the kingdom of heaven is like this. The king invites his A-list of people. He has this group of people that he wants to be at his wedding. You know what the wedding is? The wedding salvation. The Bible describes salvation as a wedding. Jesus is the bridegroom, and you're the bride. And when you get saved, you and Jesus get married. Okay, don't get freaked out. It's not weird. So the king, who is God, invites his first A-list, the people he really wants there. When he sends out a messenger to teach them and proclaim that there's this wedding, they kill the, they kill the man, and they don't go to the wedding. Jesus is prophesying that I'm the messenger, and the Jews are going to kill me and not go to the wedding that is salvation. Isn't that crazy? And then Jesus says this. So the king, seeing that they killed his first messenger, he sends out other messengers. What are these other messengers? They're the preachers and the teachers and the apostles. And he tells them, don't go to the A-list, the people I wanted, the Jews. Go to everyone, good and bad, it says. There's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. He says, I'm opening this party to everybody. You know, you couldn't be saved until Jesus opened it to everybody when he died on the cross. Now everybody can be saved because the first group said no. So the king invites everybody, no matter how good or bad you are, to this wedding called salvation. And they all come. A lot of people come. And it's amazing and it's great. But the king looks and he's walking in this wedding of salvation. And he sees one man that doesn't have on a wedding garment. He's at the party. He's at the wedding, but he's not dressed right. He's not doing right. Wait, Romans says that you're saved and the fruit of your salvation leads to sanctification or holiness. And holiness will lead to everlasting life. The man's not dressed right. I'm not just meaning he's not holy on the outside. It's representing he's not holy on the inside. He's not living right for the party that he's at. The king looks at him and says, Hey, um, why, did, why aren't you dressed right? And, and the man gets embarrassed. And the king looks at the man and looks at his servants and says, Tie him up and throw him in hell. I don't have to explain what that meant. It really meant hell. Gnashing of teeth. What happened? The man was saved when he accepted the call, the invitation. And the invitation is, repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you and all your children, all that far off. That's the invitation. He accepted it. The party is called salvation. But he didn't live right post-salvation. It wasn't that he just didn't dress right. How do we dress is a symptom. 
We do it to protect the inside. We dress right on the outside to protect the inside. And the inside helps us want to dress right on the outside and live right on the outside. It's all symptomatic, okay? So don't get trapped just in the clothing thing. It's deeper than that. He's saying the man wasn't responding right. What is awareness? I'm taking time because it's the other series. Awareness is what? Seeing him and obeying him. The man saw him and obeyed him, but he didn't keep seeing and obeying, seeing and obeying. It's a progressive thing. I, I want to stay at the party. So I get dressed like I'm supposed to be at the party. Okay? Many are called, but few are chosen. God gave the man the freedom to pick if he would come or not to the party. If he was going to accept the seed of salvation or not in obedience. I see it, I obey it. Freedom to choose. But once you get to the party, God will use you however he wants to use you based on how you decide to be. That man decided, I'm not going to be a good vessel. And God said, well, then I won't use you for things of honorable use, I'll use you for things of destruction. Okay? That may sound like I'm saying, like, you're safe and you get one more chance. Like, if you mess up, you're safe, you're a hypocrite. I'm not saying that. Okay? I'm just saying, it's putting an emphasis on just because you got here doesn't mean you don't have to do the right things to stay here. Just because God has shown you a destiny. And I believe that God shows you more clear prophetic things than you ever could have imagined. Without a preacher, without, a, without someone being there with you, I think you need to be accountable to your preachers and you need one and everything. Don't take me wrong. But all I'm saying is this, is that God has shown you glimpses of faith more clear and more, more prophetic than you ever could have imagined already. And you see them. Just because you see it doesn't mean you don't have to be coming. Because though your free will is a lot more small than you thought it was, you still have a big thing to decide. What will I let in today? And then when I let that in, God then uses me. You get it? Certainty of destiny does not take away from my need to live today right. Got it? Mm-hmm. We done, y'all. We done. Stay with me. I preached the influence lesson last week so you wouldn't think that God just forced Pharaoh because you know it kind of helps understand it.